0: Time to take
1: your seat and it's been an action-packed final day of the league looking now at north london there's been a goal at the emirates anthony collias but jake what is the goal what is the point of it all Ah, oh, what a nice link to our last <laughs> episode on the absurd and the link there being that people do find meaning in sports there are moments of connection joy despair but ultimately it doesn't matter because like sisyphus Existence is pointless, but we go again next year anyway. The ball Onto rolls the... down, you push it back up. Another kick of the ball, another roll of the rock. Welcome everybody to, to the morality the... of everyday things. Exactly,
0: philosophy podcast where we talk about everyday moral things, questions of the everyday. So today's is going to be: has too much foot, uh, too much money ruined football? Has Sorry. too much
1: football ruined, money. <laughs> 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 football
0: ruined money? Exactly. Now there's no point. Uh, and we'll be discussing. Part of that is naturally you talk about what is the point in sport? What are we optimizing towards? Because if we don't know that, then it's hard to decide whether we're ruining it. And we'll kind of discuss a little bit about that and yeah just a tongue-in-cheek link to the last episode if you're interested in the concept of absurdism or what brings meaning to life check that out if you like the movie everything everywhere all at once check it out
1: absolutely i'm jake by the way this is ant obviously i am having a sip of water you probably heard that (laughs) and uh yeah (laughs) we're back with season three so hopefully you missed us but hopefully you're enjoying the new season please do send in any requests for new episodes questions you want covered And as always, please, if reviews, we really appreciate them. Oh, that really does help. It helps other people find us. Actually,
0: I didn't mention last time, but a fun one, Jake. Mm. This is actually midway during the interseason hiatus. But for a brief period, we were in the top 15 philosophy podcasts in Ireland. In Ireland? And
1: also in Singapore, for
0: some reason. How about that? Clearly very thoughtful and interesting people over there.
1: (laughs) Thank you, guys, if you're listening from over there.
0: Yeah, I think it was specifically one of the AI episodes that became quite
1: popular there. Nice. Love to see it. But anyway, on today's question, where we're looking at the influence of money on football. Has money ruined football? Are the working titles where, should you still support Newcastle United? Yes, Uh, that's a
0: very UK specific one. To clarify, this problem is mm, global.
1: It is, but we'll we'll, we'll give a little bit of that. Yeah, I focused this episode today on football for you American listeners. That's soccer, but it it probably is applicable to other sports as well. The reason football, I think, is... You you could have been more specific and said the Premier League even. Yeah, even even the Premier League, although we'll mention sort of uh, the Women's Super League and Wrexham and, and European stuff as well. It's very much about, yeah, football as a sport, I guess, has a unique status as a global entertainment phenomenon, really. It's bigger than many other sports put together and draws more attention. And personally, I'm a massive football fan uh, listeners of the podcast may occasionally notice me mention Charlton Athletic and on previous episodes we've covered football we looked at our footballers overpaid for example you'll see my passion for the beautiful game shine so through in a, in a way is that Anthony's indifference probably yes. <laughs> contrasts quite strikingly the,
0: the, the little nod there when he said there's been another goal at the Emirates Anthony is that I've decided that Arsenal who are based at the Emirates is going to be my nominal answer to the who do you support question just because as a man in in the UK you need to have an answer yeah you know? yeah
1: otherwise you get funny looks yeah it's just easier to sort of <laughs> of go along with the question and mm. then to sort of have that awkward situation of yeah <laughs> i don't like football yes uh, yeah. <laughs> okay so
0: jake do you want to give a little bit of context to some of the specific problems or problems uh funding that has brought this to mind you touched on very briefly Wrexham, mm-hmm. the women's super league and then talk about some of the specific problems linked to the people providing this money absolutely um, and
1: and basically set this all up first. let's set this all up lots of clubs in the last few decades particularly have received extensive backing and subsequently risen to great success in their leagues. The most famous example is Man City who've recently won the Premier League again. By the time this comes out, they may have won the treble. Which, which is,
0: yeah, for those who don't know, it's winning the domestic UK league, mm-hmm. another trophy in the UK. The AA, FA Cup. Which is more of a knockout tournament, not a league. It's a cup. Yep. I don't think that's necessarily obvious. <laughs> I think American football, for example, it's a league and then it's knockout afterwards. And right? it it's like it's a combination. True. Whereas, the these two. Whereas these are separate. These are totally separate. Yep. But they happen to be with the same teams because it's all UK based. And then there's also to an inter-european best teams in mm-hmm. called champions league and that's oh, where champions! yeah you may recognize <laughs> that that's where uh like the best teams in england and germany and italy and stuff all play each other so that nowadays the best english teams can play in the
1: final <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> roughly exactly and, and so man city is the most famous example of extensive financial backing leading to success. Not immediately. They've built this up over a decade, decade or two. But yeah, a decade. But mm-hmm. they've done really well with it. Loads of other clubs have followed suit. Chelsea actually came before them. They had the backing of Roman Abramovich before yep. the Ukrainian <laughs> war. Um, I remember
0: there was, a, there was a really funny headline when it first happened. When, when the investment happened. All the yeah, fall. and it was calling it Chelsky. Oh, Chelsky. Yeah. <laughs> like S-K-I-Y, kind of <laughs> Russian style. Um, but then you also have more recent ones, which, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this, but are kind of less sinister where you have the story of Wrexham. Wrexham's right? a lovely story. story. isn't it yeah great Netflix series actually I haven't watched it myself but I've been recommended it several Uh, times it's really good Um, very entertaining uh, Rob McElhenney the guy from Always Sunny and Ryan Reynolds Ooh, quick one this is gonna have to be an episode in the season but influencers and business yeah the whole thing where people are like oh he's a business genius he's like no he's a free brand asset he could do pretty much anything and the goalposts are very wide because he has like a following of millions who will buy whatever he does
1: anyway yeah he's monetized his brand extremely well
0: exactly but anyway they have done a great job of turning around Wrexham. That one we can talk about as a little more fuzzy, but the thing that you'll notice from Man City, from Newcastle, another example would be uh, PSG, and also Chelsea Abramovich. Mm-hmm. Primarily, these are funded by kind of shady <laughs> back yeah. then. So we're talking primarily authoritarian Middle Eastern states, Mm -hmm. uh, Russian oligarchs, Mm -hmm. these sorts of things. So Jake, do you want to give us a little more on the specific context of that?
1: Yeah, so let's go Newcastle quickly. In 2021, a consortium led by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia acquired Newcastle United for a reported fee of around $305 The takeover has been controversial basically due to concerns over human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia and the potential impact of this investment on the competitiveness of the Premier League. So there's actually two distinct problems that that note highlights, and they are separate and we want to sort of treat them separately. Essentially, they are. One is kind of the question of dirty money. And in that note, we mentioned human rights abuses. Obviously, you had the murder of Khashoggi in Saudi Arabia. You've talked about them being like an authoritarian state. There's maybe more detail that we could go into that we probably don't need to spell out. I mean,
0: one broad stroke would be the humanitarian crisis in Yemen, Mm -hmm. basically a genocide in Yemen that the Saudis are perpetrating one of the problems is basically this reminiscent of the art and artist problem or separation of art and artist problem which is that say you're a Newcastle fan can you celebrate this money coming in if the source of the money is kind of dirty. I mean, you didn't have a say over the money coming. The money is only being used to grow your football club. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not doing anything nefarious with the money, but you know that the source of the money is, you know, in fairness, not ill-gotten, but is, I would say the specific problem in this case is something that people have called sports washing, which is similar to greenwashing, but Mm -hmm. use of sports. So if you think about someone like, was it Qatar?
1: Qatar, uh, yeah, they were accused of sports washing during the World Cup. Basically building a, a more
0: positive global reputation by distracting from their other issues.
1: Sadly, there's definitely a part of me that acknowledges that it kind of works because like, I had a lot of negative conceptions of Qatar before the World Cup. I like to think those haven't changed, but they did put on a fantastic tournament. It was an incredible sort of spectacle of entertainment and that's obviously what they're so after. So it's right? well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's obviously what they're after. And it's a really relevant phenomenon to highlight this sort of question of sports washing because it is just essentially, yeah, washing mm-hmm. your reputation with a sort of positive brand mm-hmm. association which in this case is buying a football yeah. club and now the
0: other one is a little more kind of reminiscent of the fact that sports is ultimately an endeavor that is for entertainment and inherently not meaningful mm-hmm. and kind of points to the irony of sport and really i think ironically the american systems going to do a better job of this we'll, we'll contrast premier league and the nfl and the nba this idea that actually more competitive is better for everyone Because the point of a sport is not to
1: win every time. And therefore, this money and the the fact that there's so much of it creates an unfair financial advantage that would undermine the competitiveness, is what you're saying, right? Yeah. So
0: the question is, does this eventually ruin the sport? And what are some practical ways that we can kind of look at this? And also, does it contribute to this wider problem where we have like ballooning footballers prices, investments or salaries for footballers, particularly in a world of social media where like these people are not just footballers as in performers in an entertainment industry, but also brand assets in themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think one thing that's really interesting is, you know, it was in the news cycle a long time ago about Cristiano Ronaldo and Manchester United mm-hmm. and also I think was it was Juventus that
1: he moved to. So he came from Juventus to United. Right, right. Yeah. So when
0: he moved to Juventus they were like this is a crazy amount to pay. But then one of the, you know, an analyst pointed out, well, yeah, but Juventus gained x million followers Mm-hmm. as soon as Ronaldo joined and said hey you know this is my new club and now on his Instagram <laughs> like and 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 follow like, exactly and it's like well actually how do you how do you value that how many sales does that lead to how many people buy the t-shirts you hear a crazy fee for Ronaldo how many t-shirts do they sell in the one season in his first season there
1: the t-shirts thing I never knew if it was apocryphal but when he originally went to Real Madrid for what was then the record fee they said that he sold that many t-shirts in his first season like it, they, they literally made back. that money back which may not be specifically true I haven't fact checked it but you could believe there's a significant direct monetary influence this there is- and you're this pointing to all the sort of more intangible stuff yep. around brand and follows. This is the uh, thing where like, and... we
0: have this idea where we think of sports as about it's about winning the sports, right? And we kind of forget that actually sports is more and more an entertainment product
1: more so than that it becomes kind of yeah, a financial
0: product <laughs> exactly and exactly and so actually things like how do you package this how do you acquire new customers uh, are increasingly important and so you know the role of sports on social media is also increasingly important um, and you, you you to some extent see this in like older sports i don't know how much baseball is doing this but cricket which is like baseball in the uk for, mm. for ease of analogy it's kind of an old boring format and they're forced and they have sports, like great sports consultants come in hmm. and help them. They're forced to create more action-packed, more quick, more uh, social media-able formats of the sport to stay alive. So, this is kind of a realization like, look, sports is actually an industry. It's entertainment. And there's a kind of moral part of like, oh, it's unfair. And there's also kind of a like
1: practical, like, well, this is stupid because no one wants to watch Man City 8 uh, 0, mm-hmm. another Premier League team, right? Mm-hmm. This is an interesting way to sum up that problem. So, just to refresh, there's two distinct problems we're talking about the money itself being maybe dirty money, to give it a convenient yep. label. But then also, does too much money potentially ruin the sport? And it can take a couple of forms because it's, on the one hand, it's about making the league less competitive, but it's also potentially, as a fan, it kind of distracts from, to some extent, the true purpose of sport, which is as a means of entertainment, as a, as an experience, as a kind of source of joy, connection. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can well, make and, that more grandiose. But the you money, could,
0: you could also argue, it's a focal point for communities, and from that perspective, well, exactly, yeah. From that perspective, you could say any external money, even if it was from a benevolent, loving person who's like, I want to you know, mm-hmm. nurture things. It's like, well, no, it should be owned by the people who are part of it. And that's a big thing in Germany. They're there's, generally cooperatives.
1: Which I think is a really nice model. And I think there's an almost, Michael Sandel makes a point about how, like, you know, there are some things money can't buy. And and, and one of his arguments is that too much money corrupts the sanctity of the good. By injecting money into something, you actually, mm. you almost change its nature. And and there's a case to be made here <laughs> that with too much money in football, you really commercialize <laughs> it as a product in a way that does take away from your... This, this reminds me of an anecdote, right? Right.
0: So Chelsea, owned by a Russian oligarch, Mm -hmm. which inherently is a little bit shady. I remember I was talking to an Australian girl once. Mm -hmm. And she says to me, oh, yeah, you know, became a big Chelsea fan. And, you know, I went. And she said oh it was, it was great it was so friendly and she says like, oh you know i went and like there was another australian next to me <laughs> t- you know i bought a ticket online when i and paid however much to get it sat next to it. there were some french guys next to me there was an australian next to me there was uh you know some um russians around mm-hmm. as well and she's kind of telling this like it's fantastic unfortunately in my head i was like you know i remember my dad again not a big football fan but he nominally is like oh well i'm a chelsea fan i'm like why like, oh well you know we used to go and get the standing tickets and mm-hmm. go and, and watch the games there like i had a mm-hmm. couple mates who were fans so that's the one we'd go to and kind of this sense of like well if it turns into a thing that basically tourists do Mm. as like a tick gone to a premier league game done it's like well isn't this supposed to be a focal point for the local community and isn't this actually in reality if i mean football particularly is a a working man's game traditionally. is this australian girl and all the other foreign people she's bumping into who are willing to pay much more because it's a premium tourist event for them Mm -hmm. pricing out people who in some sense and this we'll talk about are real fans should really be going to this game and ultimately it's one of those short-term versus long-term things like Mm. you know are you optimizing well financially in the long term if you're just doing cash grabs from tourists? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, people have described to my I mean, granted, I don't have a strong opinion on this because I don't go to many football games. But I've heard people who are fans of the sport kind of lamenting these big clubs
1: becoming soulless, and it's just all corporate boxes and tourists. Well, there's nothing sadder for me than you you see these amazing games, and then there's well, like, and there's, the and the, the, the seats themselves, are packed, the but... players themselves are mercenaries as well. By the way, well, like, yeah. I'd carry <laughs> well, on, carry on. Definitely so. true. But yeah, you, you you see these stadiums where the stands are packed, but the corporate boxes are empty. You're know, like, oh my god, those are some of the best seats in the house, and you know, it's it's just been sold off. And and how many fans would you know would love to would love to be there and appreciate it? Mm. You're absolutely right. I mean, football has a rich history as a working man's sport, and it feels like it's kind of losing that. Should we quickly tackle the dirty money point and then come back yes. to this? Yeah, yeah. So, we mentioned Newcastle, backed by Saudi Arabia, and we discussed some of the, the, the Sponsors of
0: um, chopping people up into pieces.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we mentioned Is that funny, of... Jake? I don't
0: think Khashoggi's family thinks it's funny. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's not
1: funny, obviously. But it's,
0: when it's, it's kind of the, With the absurdity of life, all man can do is all laugh. All man
1: can do is laugh. <laughs> it was funny to me because I was going to sort of brush over, like, saying, like euphemize it as like we've discussed our concerns and then you just went straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What I was going to say was we've done an episode before on can you separate the art from the art when appreciating mm. things like music and other works. Michael Jackson and his music,
0: for example, things like that, right?
1: Definitely a shout out to that episode. Go back and check it if you're a newer listener and you, you haven't been through the back catalog. This is largely reminiscent of that problem in that as a fan, someone's bought your club. Great. It's all happening off the pitch. You just want to go and support your club. And, and I you feel might like even the, be happy because it could be a boost to your club. Well, there's definitely an element of that too. But you could basically fall, I think, anywhere along the spectrum, which kind of says, one, it's not your problem at all. In fact, you might even as a fan resent the idea that it should fall on you to act as a moral arbiter for the game when people in positions of power like the Premier League itself, UA for the British government, have obviously been like, yeah, oh, this is fine. There are people who gatekeep this who could mm-hmm. have said, you know what, we don't want to accept this money, we don't want to approve this deal, and they've let it slide. So why as a fan is it yeah. your responsibility to protest i think another interesting one actually could be in this sort of same vein would be
0: it sounds a little bit like the property argument right where it's like say you're a property owner Mm -hmm. you know is foreign investors buying up places around you kind of your problem to protest especially when it benefits you like
1: it's actually driving up the value of your property touch a really good um, analogy because it, it does directly benefit you as a fan in the sense that your club gets investment it gets momentum you can attract better talent you've got a mm. better chance of winning in, in, in that respect mm. it's going to be more fun but so, yeah
0: I would say one thing on this right I think that there is some onus on supporters and it's in two or three ways well it's in at least what this one thing and that's when we talked about the art versus artist thing you know one of the points do listen to the episode if you're interested but one of the points we discussed was the relationship between the art specifically and the problematic element of the artist right so we
1: were sort of saying if there was problem in the content i, I can't remember we talked about robin thing, and bird lines right okay and wagner and anti-semitism so
0: like if there are explicit anti-semitic tones in his content that's a problem mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. if michael jackson i think this was a joke with me but if michael jackson wrote a song about touching up kids <laughs> obviously mm-hmm. that song is unacceptable right mm-hmm. and there is actually some connection here because as we talked about a lot of people have described this as not financial investing, because you, you've joked previously, investing in football clubs is a terrible way to make money. I don't, the, I don't know, I agree with that. They've become great businesses.
1: It could have, it's certainly having a hype cycle, but there used yeah. to be a joke that the yeah. fastest way to become a millionaire was to start as a billionaire and then buy a football club. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, we mentioned
0: this term sports washing, right? Mm-hmm. You can say that there is a considered approach to this that actually is very intrinsically linked to the negative elements of this money, mm-hmm. of the actual regimes, that are, or, or regimes it, right? that are using this money, right? I mean, in the case of oligarchs, you could make arguments about them washing money and mudding the water. I mean. One of the problems, you know, when
1: the recent sanctions on Russia Mm -hmm. was, what do we do with Chelsea? Because like, yeah, it became became a massive talking point actually. Which is, it's a bit like the Gary Lineker point, was like the subject matter underneath it—the Ukraine war—is arguably so much more important. But people do get really caught up in these stories because it's it obviously affects people. And it, in some way, benefits. What was his name? um, Abramovich. Abramovich, because ultimately he did get to sell it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure
0: what the agreement was there, but yeah, I don't know how
1: financially beneficial it was to him in the end. No, no, but
0: but, I mean, the point is still like, you know, if you compare that to most other assets that rich Russians had, they fully got seized yeah so you know you're using icons of british culture Mm -hmm. and capturing icons of british culture and also in this case you know perhaps you're buying goodwill you know how many newcastle people are going to think more favorably of saudi arabia knowing nothing about saudi regime's negative actions
1: i would argue probably many because you do ultimately see the and we'll come to this later but you Mm. see the benefits of football feed into the wider community even with like training grounds and and infrastructure and all these things and you know there were there's funny pictures of like there'd be newcastle fans turning up in kind of Saudi traditional Arab dress to games, and that still happens. So,
0: I would personally say that, like, there is some onus. Like, how does that fall on you, an individual fan? If you know nothing about it, fine. But, like, once you're informed of evil in any context, you have some imperative to do something about it, right? I don't know what that would look like necessarily, but you know, there should be some conscious backlash from the fans of the club, whoever's leading the fan clubs to be like, hey, you know, this
1: is problematic we're not super happy about it mm. at least some official statements or something yeah there's certainly opportunity to protest protest at games you can use your kind of collective fan voice i've seen this as a as a fan of chart and we've done that not because i just to complain about managers though. just to well to complain we about owners and managers and, and not because the owner was sort of evil per se or, or done anything particularly wrong other than that he'd bought the club and and didn't seem to particularly care about it and we wanted someone who cared about the club and would actually turn up to games and other such things. So there are routes to protest and there are routes. I was saying you can fall on a spectrum and I think you can fall somewhere between the view that's like, it's not your problem and you resent being made to hold anyone accountable when other people haven't, or you see it as a massive problem which corrupts something that you inherently value and mm-hmm. therefore it is your duty to protest. And as a fan, I suppose you fall somewhere on the spectrum. I
0: lean a closer to like protest. I don't know that you're necessarily obliged to like quit supporting your team. But I also would totally respect that decision.
1: Yeah, it's hard because I think football, as per its sort of history and tradition, tends to be something that kind of passes down families as well. People inherit it. So
0: I think another and it's kind of tangential to this um, and it's I, I guess it kind of sits somewhere in the middle is like as a fan, I could totally understand it being like, oh, I wanted my team to like, Do this the right way, and you've Mm -hmm. kind of ruined the opportunity for that. By which I mean, like, we wanted to climb back into the league by smart management and working hard, not kind of cheat code it, right? Mm. And like now, I kind of feel like that the win is hollow. And this is the kind of sandal esque like, part of the reason you would enjoy your clean team climbing back to the Premier League and winning is because you did it the hard way, yeah. Not like it's like, well, you know, if you're having a fight with someone. I don't know, say you're a boxer, right? Mm-hmm. And you find out the night before it's like, oh, by the way, I've been giving you steroids and I've been poisoning the other guy. <laughs> I think some people could feel a, a, a genuine sense of like, well, you, you've kind of like, I wanted to win the fight because I was gonna win, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to be the better boxer and you've taken that away from me. Mm-hmm. So I could understand some fans feeling that similar sort of feeling about their team suddenly receiving this money. It's like, well, you've kind of ruined it now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the only counterpoint I can make to that, and it's not a very good one, is just to say sports franchise purchasing has become so popular mm. that you, as Newcastle fans, could be like, ah, it's mm. happening everywhere. You know, why shouldn't we take advantage of it? Well, and I mean, then, then the dirty money point becomes the U.S. The context. Key focus. The U.S.
0: context, it's much harder. Like mm-hmm. it, it needs approval from the collective of other teams, the NFL board or whatever, using the NFL as an example. Mm. It's hard to buy a team, you need approval, yeah. right? I believe even, you know, someone as popular as Michael Jordan had mm-hmm. trouble buying an NBA franchise. It
1: wasn't like cut and dry. Yeah, whereas the Premier League and sort of FA in UK have a pretty bad policy dating back years of just letting potentially unscrupulous actors in and not really Mm -hmm. policing it much. So Mm -hmm. not as well done. I feel like that kind of covers the dirty money point, unless there's anything else you wanted to say on that. Let's move on then to the second point of the argument, which to remind you guys was does the unfair financial advantage, does it ruin the sport? Is that actually a real negative? And this I guess is what you were driving at when you were talking about the wind being hollow. I suppose to summarize it you've got arguments on both sides here one school of thought which you were sort of touching on was money, it just leads to one for advantage. It leads to hollow victories. There's a guy called Stefan Szymanski, who's a really interesting economist, whose work I looked at quite closely when I was writing my dissertation on sort of the influence of football in the betting markets, or rather different biases in the betting markets. And Szymanski basically says money, or lack thereof, leads to cycles of dominance and distress. And those are really important concepts in football that can impact the overall health of a league or competition. His big conclusion, like with society, is that inequality is ultimately damaging to the long-term health of the competition in that it makes the sport boring or unfair, especially to the fans of teams that feel left behind. And this is why you could have some sympathy with the Newcastle fans being like, do you know what? It's happened elsewhere. Chelsea and Man City already did it. Why not? Like we're kind of leveling up to their level and we're not being left behind. But you can see why other fans, of different teams in the league do feel that. The flip side though, to this sort of risk that money kind of corrupts the league is that money injected into a club does have a big knock on effect on the community in a positive Um, way that can be a really positive thing and that's as simple as just saying you'll get better training infrastructure but also just yeah money so if you might win it it creates a buzz people go again it does it does and Wrexham in the show is a really poignant example of that because Wrexham in particular much more so than Newcastle it's a post-industrial town that was more or less left behind and the football team was one of its sort of sources of pride and joy in it
0: it's also one of the oldest football teams it is
1: yeah third oldest I think I'm correct in saying and Wrexham basically had fallen all the way out of the four professional tiers into the National League i guess is still professional but it isn't officially just. recognized as as one of the top supporters they've kind of fallen out of the league is the way that you describe it and the investment by um robin ryan has this season just helped them secure promotion and and into and it,
0: professional football into
1: yeah. league two into professional football and even just aside from the promotion like you're saying you know the wins and the competitiveness has just brought atmosphere back to the town and and i mean also with their case it's ridiculous but you know hollywood a-listers will now show up to Wrexham yeah, games like i'd, I'd watch a Wrexham game
0: it sounds interesting
1: now and amazingly, I mean, just the fun thing in their case is this season has been a real two horse race between them and Notts County, who's another sort of former league great who'd fallen out of favor. These guys were like neck and neck until the end of the season, and it did made for not both? Just, Did they not book it? Uh, I think they did. I actually, normally it's more than one that gets One, one goes both. automatic and one goes through playoffs. And oh, I right. think I've, if it's happened already, I'm pretty sure Notts County got it. And, and I feel like I remember saying, yeah, they really deserved it. I'd have to double check it. But yeah, a nice example there of like investment having a massively positive impact, and there's huge potential for that to be the case. One. I'm the question is whether money leads to better quality
0: this is difficult because mm. one analogy people often give is the women's game right yeah and one of the biggest very legitimate points people make is that the women's game is underdeveloped because we don't invest enough in it mm-hmm. however there's a difference between investing in the sport and investing in a team mm-hmm. so you could say that the problem with the women's game is that there's not enough support from the what, what was the english football efl english football the uh, uh the, the fa i suppose uh, F.A., football association yeah, the football yeah. association the argument would be that the investment is not coming from there and that it should be spread out not mm. that we need one team to receive a billion because mm. who are they going to play against? That actually could really, it's funny how this point can kind of work both ways that it can really highlight how, like, lack of investment isn't good for the sport in general as an entertainment product. However, misalignment of investment across your teams creates an uncompetitive
1: sport that's not interesting. Yeah, that's a really good point to make. And I mean, the women's game on average has enjoyed a real, a real sort of rise to popularity. It's certainly, you're seeing that cycle of like investment generally feed through the grassroots which creates more talent. Because that is now you know, currently happening. Uh, and context. and what ultimately needs to happen is, is, yeah, you get more people watching the sport, which drives more money, more broadcast rights, everything mm-hmm. else, and that feeds back into investment. But as you correctly point out, that is not the same thing as one billionaire choosing to invest in one team. And, yep. and actually yeah, yeah. that makes the playing field mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. less level. Where this all leads us to, though, is the philosophical question that I feel is at the heart of this episode which is what do we actually want from our sports? Mm. Is it a quality that we want? Can you ever really truly level the playing field? Do we value more fair competition more than spectacle? Is fair competition the way yeah. to create the better spectacle? What is the, what objective is the goal, what is the objective? Because yeah. to be
0: fair, I mean, like, this isn't a fixed answer. It can change over time, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say the answer was before we wanted to entertaining product and the way that you had that was to have a competitive game between people, right? Mm-hmm. Fine, but what if we're moving to a social media, short attention span world, and what we want is to watch Erling Haaland, <laughs> Bang in crazy goals and actually if man city can smash someone eight nil that helps create opportunities for those five second clips
1: yeah right? you just want that short highlights yeah. rule
0: and also eight nil as an eye grabbing headline at least for now the novelty hasn't worn off yet so people are like wow eight nil i better watch mm. the highlights right it was maybe actually if the objective is just to create entertainment that actually might not be misaligned right now mm. i mean is it a good midterm strategy probably not and also you know most
1: fundamental of all when it comes to sports
0: should financial interest really trump everything else
1: it feels to me like the sort of milton friedman point right where he's like you know companies exist to serve shareholder profits above all else i feel like increasingly we've always said this but increasingly there's a sense of like uh, companies actually have a place in their communities and they should provide value other than just sort of profit seeking
0: well i mean to give it to give an analogy if a football team is performing poorly and risks plummeting out of the Premier League, mm-hmm. but has become really good at, like, I don't know, monetizing, sending their football players onto gigs and celebrity <laughs> shows, and they're an entertainment product. Mm-hmm. Um, Their footballers are entertaining in ways other than performing in the Premier League. Even if that was making business sense, in some sense, that would feel like a failure, right, of Yeah. The club. Or is that just a short-term mindset where we're missing the point that sports is now about entertainment? You could also see how some of these clubs are, like, for example, a lot of football clubs will now have uh, e-sports teams and things because they are diversifying. Mm. Um, and you can see some argument, that hey, more of these should actually put more attention into those things because they make more financial sense. They're cheaper to run or whatever.
1: You raised such an interesting point because I hadn't even thought about it in those ways. When I was thinking about this earlier, I was thinking one of the beautiful things about sport and football in particular is, it, is it's, it's an experience. It's a beautiful game. A beautiful game. It's, it's an experience product. For it's...
0: Americans, that's what you call football. The beautiful game. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You say it more... Uh, that's not a good English accent. It's more like the beautiful game
1: oh uh, it's bad. <laughs> that was a bad English accent. Bootyful, please, like, keep it. <laughs> oh, um, mate. But w- what I was going to say was, um I hadn't really thought about it in in the terms you were describing, because what I was thinking was, you know, football at its heart is 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 an experience. It's a it's a product you experience, and it's it's about the sort of the emotions the ride the coming together of the people the connection of the foot with the ball <laughs> the connection you have with the people watching and, and and with the team as a kind of concept and there's something no, it's true sports. there's something tribal and meaningful and, and and like i mean this this probably it always sounds kind of exaggerated unless you are a football fan and you relate to it but like mm. my dad and i would both unanimously agree that one of the best days of our respective lives mm. was when we were at Wembley and we watched Charlton win promotion and you know it was we'd watched right, them all is- season and for decades before struggling and you know, to see them rise to that pinnacle and, and yeah, have that moment together is actually, it's like the absurd, it's its a sort of meaningful moment in an otherwise meaningless kind of existence. But it, yeah. it, there's something really, really powerful about that. And, and there seems like there's something kind of eternal about that. But this capitalist capture could risk corrupting that. And I, I hadn't even thought about it in the way you were saying about like, actually, as a product, we're consuming it differently. And that potentially changes the nature of what we're looking for. But you're right, that's an interesting point, too. Because the risk I was seeing was like, you know, it's ultimately driven by ego and now this this sort of financial purchase of clubs and billionaires uh, coming in and, and you know well this is the other thing
0: right like between sports washing and ego mm. a lot of these things aren't rationally priced right no not at all like it, it's like buying a fancy ferrari or like a custom number plate you know that it, in saudi arabia dubai places that, that they auction off like the numbers one two three four mm-hmm. ridiculous amounts right to some extent these aren't rational purchases so you know when you think about it from an investment perspective it, it, it becomes hard to value them
1: Maybe. Yeah, Scott Galloway, yeah. listeners may be familiar with. He's a sort of American professor turned kind of writer slash entertainer. But he he it was uh, more
0: like business to business professor, which isn't the same as professor. Yeah, yeah, to like public pundit.
1: Yeah, pundit is good because he makes a lot of predictions. He had a funny thing where he was kind of like, you know, you get a nice car to show that you're prosperous, or a nice house to show that you're prosperous, and then you, you get like a supercar to show that you're like silly rich, or like a private jet to be like, ah, man, I have real status. He's like, but now billionaires are looking for new ways to go a level above, and that's where football clubs come in. And yep. you know, it, it, seriously. yeah, seriously, yeah, that mean, and going to space. Jake and I have said that
0: we will waste some of our money when we playing <laughs> <laughs> a football club. We'll have to buy a very low league club. Yeah, we're yeah. below Rex. I mean,
1: club. Charlton should be in prime position. But yeah, great things are
0: going, Jake. There's a line here i want to discuss where it says parallels with society and are american sports better for americans you'll know this but like very interestingly one of the things that american sports do better is that for example the equivalent of the league so and the actual nfl governing body Mm -hmm. negotiates the contracts and splits the revenues between everyone
1: yeah revenue sharing is a big point
0: so they share revenue but they also have a draft system they do right so trading is relatively more limited and the entry of new people is through this one funnel which is constructed to give the worst teams the first pick in the next season. Yeah. So they get, and it's the same in the NBA and similar. And it's this kind of balancing mechanism to help create more competitive sport. Because there seems to be this understanding that actually more competitive is better for all of us, creates more spectacle. And so we recycle this into the teams. And Which is ironic that the American system seems to be the more communist one.
1: <laughs> well, this is what we've always said. This is the joke that Americans run their sports so like, so socialistically. That's yeah. that's not a word. You know what I mean? Their sports are so designed to be socialist in a way that their economy just isn't. No, <laughs> but exactly. there's this recognition in the sport that actually fair competition and 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 promoting benefits that by everyone kind of in the midterm benefits everyone in the midterm and and it, and it you know judging by the popularity and the increasing popularity of american sports over in europe now too it seems to be playing out and you can't really contrast that directly with european sport in the sense that european sport is also incredibly popular if not more so um yep. so it works as well but there's something really nice about the american model because as a fan you sort of think like hey my time will come and you enjoy your glory years, but then you're like, you know what? You kind of expect these peaks and troughs, and yep. that's just sort of part of the experience. Whereas with football in the Premier League, in particular, and in it Europe, it becomes it becomes self-reinforcing negatively and positively. You have positive and negative spirals. It's what Szymanski called dominance and distress, and you really see that with like, you know, the Man Cities of this world mm. now look a little bit like how are we going to knock them off their perch, and the Wrexham's. No the other way is more money. It's not in, the bottom. Exactly, and until Ryan Reynolds and Rob came in, Wrexham was like, how are we ever going to pick ourselves out of this dip? How are we ever going to get back into the league? You basically need a day six. Mac in a moment (laughs) you do you do a billionaire step in and i
0: think it's a nice time to kind of step in and say like it's funny how we seem to have the same thing with society more widely Mm -hmm. as we said parallels with society whereby it's kind of in the midterm interest even of the winners to actually have a more equal and competitive game because ultimately in the midterm that's better for everyone right and i guess the analogy is like look in a more redistributive society to use like a keynesian perspective or Mm -hmm. economist it's like oh you'll have a more productive society which means more growth and you'll also have more people to create a market for your products Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. Uh, even if you are the rich person great i can invest my capital more effectively because there are more people to buy my stuff That's right. And we actually kind of miss that. And instead, you know, it's not only like a smaller market to buy my stuff and midterm growth. And it's also things like I'm in a safer society because fewer people are in a position where they have to worry to the extent that they should consider crime. That's right? it. I mean, there
1: are negative and, externalities and of- Mental health
0: people, people with mental health issues are left outside.
1: This explain. is it. No, that, that's exactly what I are saying. There are negative externalities of inequality, which are things like crime and safety and mental health and and climate, like uh, the mm. impact on the environment. All these things kind of come about because society, I'm, I'm not saying the climate would be fixed by more mm. equality, but driving at that general point that we kind of accept all these really negative consequences because we're like, well, wow, you know, capitalism makes sense. And, and probably mm. there's a sense of power structures saying, you know, we need to reinforce the system Mm. that's kind of propped us up. But mm. actually, what you're saying is true. I, well, I believe anyway that you know a recognition that more equality is midterm beneficial for everyone. You know, especially with the you've got the billionaires who have too much money anyway, more than they can know what to do with. And, and, and it Surely becomes, there like,
0: is it, like like the team that wins every game. It becomes pointless and uninteresting. Surely,
1: right? And and this is why I guess they sort of take on ever more ridiculous like challenges and and eventually do things super things like buy football clubs. But yeah. like, <laughs> you sort of think that like actually to reference our episode on the absurd again in, in this sort of brief period we have between non existence and non-existence you know what greater meaning could be found than by by trying by to buy a child in athletic <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> step aside um yeah no and by like you know helping your fellow man and, mm. and, and mm. kind of making it's things very to, people. Thing to
0: find your meaning in
1: i can't remember this quote but there was some
0: analogy or anecdote or something where it's americans versus europeans and it's like oh you know in europeans you have to take public transport and the rich per- you know rich i can't remember this is like this mm-hmm. anecdote of an american talking to european it's like oh you you know, you have to take public transport and you know, I get my car everywhere. And the European is like, no, no, no. I can take public transport because, you know, it functions well. I don't mm-hmm. need to worry about being robbed on it. Mm-hmm. I don't need to worry about being harassed on it. Like this is a privilege because it actually is easier when I can do that than having to get an expensive car everywhere. And it's the same thing where like when you start having to think like, oh, I have to pay for my security and stuff. At a certain point, that becomes literally true. Well, no, like at some Harry point, and Meghan went. Yeah, exactly. At some point it's like, well, actually, like just the cost to building it. I mean, here's a nice example, private schools. Right. Mm. If all of the money that people paid for private schools went to the public school system mm-hmm. and there were no private schools, maybe the public schools would be better yeah. and then you wouldn't need the private schools ironically
1: yeah there'd definitely be an argument for that and, yeah. and I mean we did record an episode on that in the past as well so yeah, yeah. another one to check out and but... you
0: tangentially benefit from being surrounded by more educated people
1: Jake we should probably wrap up I think soon. yeah the, the lights are going off around us so that's probably a, yeah, that's probably probably a passive sign <laughs> yeah. that we need to move I would say to my point what we're seeing with sport is a bit of a perfect metaphor for the risks of capitalist capture and I think Ted Lasso which is one of my favourite shows and it's, it's finishing this week that makes these points quite nicely mm. but football at its heart is about joy beautiful moments emotion Mm. uh, all the positive mental health effects Mm. uh, Mm. particularly for men also women there's a lot to love about football (laughs) Yeah, I even included it in the notes (laughs) there's a lot to love about football that I think money does risk corrupting that said if Charlton were taken over I like to imagine I'd sort of have question marks about where the money was coming from however you know, I'd also <laughs> massively, ones, massively embrace the positives that that would do for the club. But I think what you're looking at is a longer term problem of like, actually, especially as this yeah, goes on, and as it goes on, it's only going to get exacerbated. And the money invested seems to be sort of, you know, unless something fundamentally changes in the way that the world appreciates football, I, I kind of only seeing this inequality widening. And that makes me think there's there's a case to look at the American model here and, and think how we can replicate that in Europe. Because I mean, just quickly, we mm. did mention there are salary caps. They have a really nice playoff system as well. That means that even if you had a bit of a rubbish season, you kind of have a shot at glory at the end there's a lot of details i think they do hmm. well to regulate the sports in the american model yep and i'm not sure how literally we can transpose that model onto european football i just like to think there are elements that we yep. could do better yeah, yep.
0: i mean i largely agree i've said my view along the way i think there is some onus from fans to at least acknowledge and maybe protest a little bit Boo. and there should have been there should have been more there should be more ch- honestly the biggest onus is on the english football league mm. uh, and nfa and the british government for allowing effectively sports washing money and sports washing to come into our sports the same way that we should really be stopping these people from buying up all our properties again that was a nice analogy the thing i really like which is totally tangential to the episode but is my favorite part of it is the analogy between. More competitive leagues are better for everyone in the league, Mm. just like more equal societies are better for everyone in the society in the mid to long term. Why can't people realize that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, when will they see? Um, Okay, guys. I totally
0: agree. Good to chat. Please do leave a review. It really helps. Tell a friend if you enjoy it. If you know someone who likes football, be like, hey, here's something that's kind of a mix of philosophy and football. You ignoramus, maybe you'll learn something. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, guys.